Welcome to the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast, where we sit down with some of the most successful real estate agents, brokers, and team leaders to learn about their journeys in this industry. I'm your host, Art Batuzzi, and as a seasoned real estate agent of 29 years, I'm always fascinated by the stories of how others found success in this business. On this podcast, we'll be talking to our guests about the obstacles they overcame, the lessons they learned, and the tips and strategies they're using in today's ever-changing market. Whether you're a real estate agent, broker, team leader, investor, or just someone interested in real estate, you're in the right place. Our guests come from a variety of backgrounds and they all have unique insights to share. We wanna have fun with these interviews, but we also wanna make sure that you come away with actionable tips that you can implement in your own business. New episodes will be released weekly, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us on the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast. Let's get started. All right, hey everybody, welcome to the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Art Batuzzi. And I am joined today by a gentleman named John Letourneau. And I met John a little over five years ago, I think. And I got to tell you, John is one of those guys that whenever you start talking to him, you can talk about real estate forever. I mean, he just has a, a knowledge base that even a guy that's been in this as long as I have just shuts up and lets John talk because I learn every time he's talking about something. I just learn different stuff. And in this business, when you got somebody who knows their stuff as well as John does, it, it's such a, a, a benefit to have his wealth of experience, you know, sort of on my speed dial, which is great, right? So John is a past president of the Main Street Organization of Realtors, which, as he assures me, is the largest realtor association in Illinois with over 20,000 members. Uh, he think I think he also said it's the seventh largest in the United States. Woo! Uh, I will tell you, I have been a member of Main Street and great, great, great organization. And it does not shock me that John has been a past president because of his just commitment to working with other realtors. So without further ado, let me introduce you all to John Letourneau. Thank you, Art, for that. And I hope I have uh, have a lot to bring, but also not the Irish curse of loving to speak, but having nothing to say. So uh, <laughs> onward we go with the conversation. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. As I told you, I, I when I created my list of people for doing the podcast, you were right at the top thank because you. of your experience in commercial. Now, I have been primarily a residential guy throughout my entire career. I've done some commercial here and there, but you know, your commercial knowledge is just amazing to me. And when we've had conversations in the past and and you've helped me and some of my team members out in the past, which we greatly appreciate um, with regard to commercial, I just, you were one of the people that I was like, if I'm gonna ever talk to commercial, uh, about commercial with somebody, it's gonna be John. So- 
Before we get, we jump into the whole commercial part, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in real estate? Uh, well, a shovel full of dirt is how I came into real estate. So uh, my family has uh, construction companies. I worked in a lot of those. I actually started out first, first, first career. If we're going way the heck back, I actually had studied to be a Roman Catholic priest of all things for seven years. Uh, left home after eighth grade, went to the seminary. I felt a, a strong calling to, to try to give back in a different way. Um, but I wanted different things out of life, wanted a family. Um, so left there and finished with philosophy and history degree, was always just very interested in, in, in the way things work in the world. Um, went into retail career after that, uh, audio electronics stuff, a, a total audio nerd uh, in that regard, um, built race cars for a while, worked in our family plumbing company for a while. And then I was at an address in Western Springs uh, on Franklin Street. I won't give the exact address because of anonymity and was picking up a shovel full of dirt. We were backfilling a street and my back popped and I significantly damaged L4, L5 and L5 S1. And there's no way I was going to keep doing that. I had two kids. I was uh, not really in a good place. I needed back surgery. And I was like, this is not a, a way forward. Uh, money was kind of falling out of the sky. And I was like, hey, let's do something different. My dad's like, how about real estate? So I studied at uh -huh. home. And uh, I got a whole stack of books from uh, probably, I think it was from Larry Tobin's group up north, uh, AHICE at the time. Um, and I uh, studied at home for a couple of weeks. And then I became a, a licensed managing broker. And I was like, poof, took a test. I'm like, look, I'm ready to be unleashed on the world. And I did. I made every mistake you could possibly make. And no one should ever become a broker the way I became a broker. So um, I interviewed a bunch of brokers and I made a huge spreadsheet because while I'm a philosophy and history person, I'm also kind of a data nerd. So I'm this weird bifurcated brain thing. And I made a spreadsheet of, you know, if I want to make a hundred grand a year, what's my gross? What's my net? What's my split? What's the commission of the house? What's the royalty? What, what's everything to like really get down to like net? And I said, okay, where can I get the best possible deal? Cool. There we go. And I prepaid a year's dues, cut a smoking deal, what I thought was a great deal. Walked into what was a very residential franchise at the time, because I had no idea what I was doing and said, cool, here's a year's dues. I'm in. And they went, great. There's your phone. There's your desk. Call me when you have a closing. And I was trained and I was unleashed on the general public. Right. And that's exactly what happened. And um, I was fumbling around, but made some money. I got clear acrylic awards and all this stuff. But I was like, this is, I mean, it was crazy and it was easy, but I just wasn't very good at what I did, but you didn't need to be good. You just needed to be first back in 05 and 06. And 06. I mean, it was a different market, right? I mean, and, and um, I, I don't mean it, I was doing anything illegal, unethical or immoral, but it was just, it was just a very different world, right? The right. low barrier to entry and, and, and the things just moved fast. Um, you were but more I, of an I, order taker, a lot. An of order them. taker, yeah, exactly. You, you showed up and you, you stick the sign in the yard and it disappeared, right? And um, um, so at that point, I knew I really had a desire for a commercial because I started a residential firm and I really struggled uphill against traction at that point. It's hard to get traction in the commercial world. And uh, so I left. I was actually a non-realtor commercial broker then. I left, went to a dedicated commercial-only firm in Oak Brook. I was there for several years. The market collapsed. The world ended. And... Um, you know, we went through fire there, you know, uh, because that that was no one was buying investment assets when there's no cash flow, there's no tenants, there's nothing happening. So left there and uh, went to uh, a, a residential a residential firm uh, uh, that but as like a commercial director there for what five, six years uh, in Hinsdale and then uh, in my current firm here in Naperville at KW. And that's been about five years or so as commercial director here. And then um, while I was here, I'm commercial director here over our group of, I think we have 10 offices now here. 
I oversee our 30-ish brokers here. Uh, we had one, me and one other guy when we came on board, and then I've grown that here. I oversee a team of my own team of five, and then um, I helped uh, rebuild KW Commercial nationally. We kind of burned that down and rebuilt that. And then I'm also vice chair of NAR's Commercial Leadership Forum, a two-person committee, sort of presidentially appointed. I'm on uh, NAR's Reach Commercial. I'm an entrepreneur in residence for them. I am. Uh, uh, I instruct 11 different certifications and designations around the world. I'm a RPR advisory council. I, I, I do all kinds of other stuff. I don't sleep a lot is really what it comes to. <laughs> so I've, I've turned that into a, a great career, but the desire to give back is really what it is. And, and my personal desire is to raise the bar in the real estate industry, especially commercially. And that and that's it. So, okay. Well, the that... long intro. So back to the Irish no, thing. No, no, that was good. You know, that was good. Hopefully because... that helps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It gives us a sense of of who you are and how you got to be here. So yeah. what was the thing? Uh, was it just the market switching that had you move from residential to commercial? And and why do you like commercial more? Um, well, I, I remember uh, a gentleman named Frank Bella from Belmore Commercial Properties, and he was one of the first instructors. He used to teach classes at, at Main Street. He's passed. And he was a great guy. He was kind of like a Henny Youngman. He always had like little quick one-liners. And he would say, I like numbers, but I prefer figures. Like he was kind of old school that way. You know, he's really just quick. And he'd say, Frank, why do people dislike you so quickly? He said, well, it saves time. You know, he was just one of those guys. And Frank was really sharp. And and um, he really lit a spark in me because he was the first person to ever do discount cash flow with me. And when he wrote out the first T-bar, I'm like, okay, if you, get, if you borrow a dollar today, what's it worth tomorrow? And is it worth less or more? And that just that just lit up. And I was like, I get this. And this was so cool to me to just start understanding cash flow and how that worked in real estate and just the power of cash flow to drive real estate. Uh, that was just so incredibly exciting to me. And I struggled because there was no place to really learn about that in the residential marketplace at that time. And the, the thing was always like, okay, we'll go to a commercial firm. That's where you want to learn commercial real estate. And so what he always said was, look, there's lots of drama in residential, but there's lots of ego in commercial. So depending on which thing you can tolerate more of, pick where you're going to go. And so I've learned to tolerate the egos in commercial. You kiss a few rings here and there, but overall, it's it, there's a lot less drama in terms of like, you know, well, they didn't like the color of this or they don't like that, but it is very, very business oriented Monday through Friday, nine to five. We don't do a lot of evenings and weekends, don't do open house stuff, but I also did that also to control my time. Because I had young kids, my wife worked downtown all the time. I was kind of the domestic partner in the relationship, if you will, and that I got the kids up, got them to school, fed them, was there to pick them up. And commercial gave me that time in the evenings and weekends for them. So I was able to control time and still have the career I wanted and build that. Well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, my experience of commercial is just been what you said. It, it Where I always look at residential as being very emotional. It's an emotional purchase for people because yeah. they're purchasing their home or their piece of the American dream, right? Correct. Where where commercial was always the numbers, guys. You know, okay. that if it didn't work, but the numbers don't work, we don't do it. You know, those guys. Absolutely. And and so for me, I, I'm the opposite sort of is the numbers are what they are, but they're not sexy. They're not fun for me. And and but what is fun is all the people and helping them do their thing. That's why I've always done primarily residential. But I certainly saw the commercial guys get, you know, that into the business because of the fact that it was nine to five. And there were no weekends or really usually no weekends. Yeah. It was more like a very corporate thing. 
than mm-hmm. than the than the residential side, which could be days, nights, weekends, and forever. Right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Um the thing to that though is um there the, there's a mistake made in that in that assumption. And I learned it t- this took me years to figure out is that there actually is quite a bit of emotion in commercial. And if you strip it away, it actually limits you. So the key is look, you you are making multi-million dollar decisions and you're you're making decisions about things, but you can also be an order taker in commercial and go, okay, how many square feet do you need? And what kind of clear height and how many truck docks and all that? Well, you're just taking an order, like a drive-through order person. But if I, if you said to me, John, I want to move my business from wherever, from Wisconsin to Illinois or whatever. Cool. Art, tell me what you want the space to feel like when your employees are in it. What, what does it look like for your employees to live here? What do you want their commute to feel like for them? Do you want them to be on trains? Do you want them to be driving? Do you want them to be facing the sun when they drive into work or not? Do you want them to, to have restaurants nearby? What kind of environment do you want? Do you want green space nearby? Like, There's so many more things that you tie into the human experience of interfacing with commercial real estate. And I didn't really, I wasn't asking those questions early on. So I put a lot of people in a lot of spaces that fit them statistically, but may not have been the best fit emotionally for them. And when you raise your emotional intelligence commercially, you do way better is what I can tell you. So to bring some of that in. And one thing I love telling commercial people is that residential people do some things better than they do. Boy, it bends their weather veins, man. It is so cool. <laughs> and they do. Residential people have awesome advantages over commercial in some in some ways. We'll get into right. that later. Well, so you know, it is so, a little so, bit. So then let me let I'm speaking from my experience then, because I always dealt with the guys downtown, we were always buying buildings to convert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they were always the numbers. They weren't like totally. hey, none of this stuff. So I, I probably would say I never ran into anybody in commercial that asked me those questions, primarily because what we were looking at was buying residential properties and they were where they were. Yeah. You know, yeah. meaning where do you want to be? We want to be in Chicago. OK, great. Here's the buildings. Here's the price points. Here's the cap rates. And exactly and how are you going to finance that's a stream of cash flow with free property attached right and that's when you look at what in most of like if in commercial you're going to see people specialize look i do industrial i do office i do retail i do multifamily whatever that is everyone tends to specialize in a lane or a geography like i'm the naperville guy i'm the villa park guy i'm whatever my personal specialty is we help people build multi-generational wealth through investment real estate that's what i do right regardless of property i'm property agnostic i am (laughs) <laughs> multi-generational wealth builder. So I really get the number side of it, but understand that conversation around the other part, it happens, but it happens before you get to the numbers. Because Art, those guys knew I want to go to West Lawn or I want to go to Inglewood or I want to go to, I want to go to West Loop. Why? Because the drivers are there. Numbers are always the story of people. Always. Why do they go to those neighborhoods? Because you know, young professionals are moving there, rents are moving there. Why are rents moving there? Jobs are there, the economy is there. There's there's always people under it that tell a human story if you look deep enough, or if you go one level above that. That so the, those human factors are there. They just happen before uh, before you got to. I need a five cap, not a six cap, or a four cap, not an eight cap. Whatever those numbers are, there's always those human stories. But you just have to ask them at a different place before you get to just the numbers. So they're they're in there. I assure you. Yeah. But but when it comes to yeah, just hunting, hunting when you're hunting when you're hunting gathering, dude, just go find me an A cap. All right, fine, I get that. Yeah, right. Again, we're probably seeing the more serious people. Well, that's what I was going to say. You're seeing a better quality of, of people, and I know, um, I know, you know, I, I mean, I'll you know, you go to all the education stuff, and the people are going, but the people who are in it are like in it. 
Yeah. You know, it's not as many like, well, I'll, I'll go for Uber and I'll deliver pizza and then I'll do this as my fourth side hustle. Like some of them are out there, but they're getting wiped out. Yeah. And, and, so. and you know, I think that it's it's still very aspirational. Yes. I mean, yes. that's people that's fair. aspire to do this. That's mm-hmm. what I found. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, they have no idea of what it takes to be even marginally successful in this business. Correct. But they want to try. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, I think there's, there's room, you know, especially with the turnover that, that we have in this industry. Oh yeah. There's room, you know, not everybody has to be, you know, Ryan Serhant and all that stuff. No, no. In fact, most people aren't. No, and and I mean, look at median income twenty twenty one. Median income for realtors is what forty four, forty five grand per NAR stat. Gross. Yeah, gross. Right. So you look at that, and you're like, okay, and the median realtor works thirty five hours a week or more. So your net hourly is about fifteen twenty five an hour when you really break that down. So it's like, do you want fries with your with your property? Because you'd right. make more at McDonald's at that point. Yeah, taking on all that risk. So it's like, right. hmm. This isn't the glamorous rent to BMW life for a lot of people. <laughs> so, well, some people make it seem that way. Well, exactly. That's the problem. It, image over substance, right? And, um, and and it's always that real, that challenge of like, all right, what I don't, you know, and that's, you know, and I'm not, I'm not really a Kool-Aid dude on the, on the Gary Keller stuff in many instances. Um, but the, the one thing he talks about, and this came out of Morgan Housel's book on, um, on uh, the psychology of money which is comparative wealth is always a loser's game. Always. You know, there's always someone with more. I don't care. You show up with four Ferraris, someone has five. You show up with five, someone's got 10. Like, it doesn't matter. That comparative wealth thing is always a loser's game. And uh, that's that's one of the first things I really hope people get out of their head when they get into the real estate thing. So, Well, it's, you know, I think that people really just don't know. Right. And and I try to give them some taste of it in pre-license. Yeah. And say, look, you know, the stuff you've seen on TV, all that's fake. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And and if you're here because of that, you're going to have a hard time. So the one time they let me do jump part of Jumpstart at Main Street, and I wasn't even I wasn't even I was, I was on the board of directors. I don't know that I was treasurer then. You know, the, this is they did it in person in classroom A, like the main classroom. And th- yeah, that yeah. held like 80 people. I said, all right, everyone stand up. Half of you go over here. Half of you go over here. OK, you aren't going to transact this year. You are. Half of you go over there. So now I got two thirds ish over here, three quarters. Right. The others are OK. okay you, you all aren't going to transact more than twice in two years. Okay, cool. And I'll take another half of you and go over here. Three years from now, you all aren't going to be licensed. You will, and you'll be successful. I take half of you again. Go over here. Now I got about four or five people. I said, five years from now, you're the ones who are still going to have licenses. Yep. So if you all here want to get over there, start lead gen, start prospecting, start doing your job, start acting like a CEO and start owning the energy of your company and start producing, or else you're going to end up over here. And that's just the simple reality, fiscal reality of, that you're all in right now. Okay. It's the Hunger Games. Yeah. So this is what you need to do. You know, and they never let me do it again. So, so I'm like, but like, well, I, 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 people should tell you that. I, it's funny because I, I do use 
the NAR stats. Yeah. Not I that they didn't about. let me, let me be clear. It's, it wasn't no, no ill will on main street, but it was kind of like, you know, no, 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 I, no, I, I filled know. in. So it was totally, I'd be a little facetious in that one to be fair to main street past <laughs> president of main street. I love them. They're great. But right. like, you know, but when you scare the heck out of new agents like that, they're like, you know, right. Which is good. And, and, you know, I, like I said, in class, I'll say to people, look, and I don't remember, it's from a couple of years ago that I think I used the stats, something like 56% of you, 56% of everybody in NAR sold nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sold yeah. nothing. Nothing. Exactly. And so, yeah. and I said, and okay, some of those people are property managers. Like right, they, right. they, they're not going to have a transaction mm-hmm. the way that we traditionally do it. But even if 20% of them, it was 20% of them, which I don't think it is. Okay, but even if it was 20%, that still means yeah. mm-hmm. 36% of you are selling nothing. Nothing, right. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, mm-hmm. and I always say, if you want to be in the top 10% in this business, it's really not that hard because you need something like 12 to 15 transactions not, yeah. to be in the top 10%. Exactly. Now, you want to be in the top one half of 1%. Those are the hundred million dollar guys. Yeah, different game. Okay? Yeah. But it's not an industry where you've got to be way like overly successful to no. get in the top echelon. No. You know, it cracks me up when all these companies, and I see all of them because I've got students everywhere. You sure. know, you just hit the top 20, 10% of our company of your office, and the top care. 10% here, and the care. top 20% right. in 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 this and that. And it's like and and I can't think of the one group. It's not. It's an independent group yeah. that's always giving people something. And I'm like, okay, people are impressed by that until they realize the guy had two sales. Right. Exactly. Yeah. What's the metric? What does that really mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Show show me show me the show me the show me the money here. Right. Let's right. go, Jerry Jerry McGuire on this. Show me the money. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, it, it it's baffling, you know. And and the other side of it is, you look at that and go. Okay, so that means you've got half a million realtors who are fiscally out of business, but can't do the math to figure that out. Now, maybe their cousin or uncle shake loose a house next year. Okay, cool. But even if they got five or 10 grand out of that, they're paying 2,500, three grand a year to wait for that. Right. So like, uh, how, how many years are you going to wait for this? You know, yeah. It's, it, it, is, it, is, it is wild. But, but hustle beats talent every time when hustle keeps going. Yep. You don't I even agree. need to be really that good. Just keep doing it. Right. You know? And, you know, and there's people yeah. like I'll get in class and be like, look, I only want to do a couple of deals a year. Right. Okay, great. Cool. That yeah. works for you. That works for us. That's yeah. fine. You, yeah. If you're just going to, as long as that's your goal, right. then you'll be fine. Exactly. Right? If that's exactly. all you want to do, if you've got a full-time gig and you want to do this as, as your side hustle and, you know, something you may buy and something your brother may buy and that's it. Right. God bless you. We're good exactly. with that. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But for everybody who steps out and goes, yeah, I'm going to have the Ferrari and I'm going right. to do all that stuff. Right. You gotta, I mean, and there's people who do, I mean, mm-hmm. we've got people that do a tremendous amount of business that Absolutely. aren't the Ryan Serhans, but, right. but they're working their asses off. That's the other part. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, when that, when that individual agents capping out at 30, 35 transactions a year, they're just a slave to the market I and mean, they're kicking, they're, they're getting their ass kicked and that's yeah. hard, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, 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 a, that's a vocation, man. They're rocking. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And some people are like, well, you know, I want to make, you know, what, what do you think the number one answer is? I'm sure you know. 
Oh, it's always a million dollars. I'll make a million dollars. I'll make a million dollars. I'll make a hundred grand a year and have a million dollars net worth. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. I always say, what do you want to make in your first year of real estate? hundred grand. Easily, easily 80% of the people go hundred grand. Yep. All all day. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, then I do the math for them and say, it's completely doable. Mm -hmm. You just have to be moving. Well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's four and a half million dollars of of sales that you need in your year. Approximately, because there's no average standard or typical fee. No, no, no. The Kate Sachs disclosure, right? Yeah, I know. But that's right. um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, you're you're talking relatively good volume. And based on your split and based on everything else. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's always that conversation, you know, and that's that's one of the you nailed it too, Art, and you teach what I teach, which is like break your market down with data. Like, okay, how many transactions happen? How many calls to contacts, contacts to proposals, proposals to listings, listings to closings? What's your average fee? Cool. Okay, break go backwards and go, okay, I need to make 22 calls a week or else I'm not going to make my money. Yeah. If I didn't make my 22 this week, I got 44 to make next week. That's it. Or else I am income limiting myself. You know, and, the and that's people- the first thing I do, John, with, yeah. with everybody yeah. that gets out of our class yeah. that says, you know, hey, I want to know what do I need to do? First thing we need to do is break down your goals, break down your goals, break your market. And you have right. to. And that's residential or commercial. And the commercial and commercial looks even worse because it's, hey, do you want to not eat for two years? That's the intro to commercial. You know, <laughs> residential people. It, it, it's funny because as hard as residential is and as tight as inventory is and as challenging as that is, you know jump the fence to the dark side of commercial. And, and the, the the typical intro is, hey, do you want to not eat for two years? Come to commercial. Uh, and that was a very classic pathway into commercial because that's the way I got in. Well, and it's interesting too, because you said something to me a couple of years ago mm-hmm. about cap rates. I and cap rate. okay, Stupid so metric. so tell them what you told me in terms <laughs> of why why you don't, you don't even really pay that much attention to it. Cap rate's among the worst metrics you can use because it's the most inaccurate, okay? So cap rate is a snapshot, not a video. Capitalization rate is is the idea of what's my net rent compared to the purchase price of the asset. I take my gross rent minus vacancy minus expenses. Okay, it's a million bucks and the property is $10 million. So if I paid all cash, I would make a million dollars when I pay 10 million bucks for this building. I would make 10% of my money, theoretically. Cool. That's simple math. I get that. The problem is that, look, that cap rate that the listing agent is telling you is on that asset today was agreed to by the seller and the listing agent three months, six months, nine months ago, using what? Last year's taxes and data, using projected maybe next year's income. And the second that they got either a bill or a rent payment, the effective cap rate changed. So the cap rate they marketed, the cap rate they marketed at, the cap rate changes then every single time they get a bill or a statement, then the cap rate you negotiate and you actually close that are never anywhere near the same. And it constantly changes. So the idea that, oh, well, it's a seven cap, it has to be a seven cap. The only time it's ever that fixed in term, it's when you have a super long-term flat lease, like a Walgreens or CVS. Those guys cut 50-year flat leases, flat meaning no increases over 50 years. The longest I've ever seen in mass, I'd love to see who negotiated this. CVS had a 76-year lease with no rental increases over 76 years. Seriously, wow. 76 years. Like, how could you not have your rent go up in 76 years? Like that guy, like I I, I would send that guy a, a, a Starbucks gift card as a negotiator of the year. But like <laughs> you talk about a negatively amortizing asset, right? So unless you have that kind of length, your, your cap rate changes every day effectively. So everyone gets hung up on cap. It, 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 I get it as a litmus test, but man, that's not even what you're receiving. Okay, so what's in your mind, what's a better metric? 
Well, for somebody first, that's looking. Let, let's back up a minute. Let's talk about capital markets. How many people are buying assets all cash? Very few, 13%, right. 18% of the market tops. Most people are getting debt and leverage. So why are we not encapsulating and account, accounting for what a mortgage brings to the table? Should I get a mortgage? Should I not? Is, am I getting positive, neutral, or negative leverage, right? So we're not, cash on cash is a far better metric to look at and use because then I can understand how much money am I actually putting into it, which is my down payment and any other pursuit costs. And what do I have at the end of the day once I've paid all my expenses and my mortgage? What's left? Okay. And use a real world picture of instead of like last year's expenses and next year's rent and, you know, kind of that sort of what I call the listing agent dance. Right. Going, okay, what's a real world that? Because when I'm buying, I use next year's expenses and last year's rent. When I'm selling, I flip that around and go, oh, no, 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 we fought the taxes. That just hasn't come through. We're good. And you're doing a little song and dance over here. You know, you're having fun with it. And that and that's that's the art of the dance, right? Of underwriting. And it, it's, 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 it's a science and an art, but remembering what hat you're wearing. So cash on cash is far and away a more effective metric because so many people are getting debt. And then you can understand, should I even get a mortgage on this property? Because the other thing is, if you have a desired yield, if you say, I have to make 10% return on my money, that's cool. But if you reach an impasse in negotiations and you go, hey, look, we're at this price, they're at that price, I'm only getting a 9% return, I need 10%, seller's not moving, buyer's not moving. What's cool is when I know I have debt and I have a commercial loan, and I'm talking anything above a four-unit building, a five-unit or better, multifamily, retail, office, whatever, I can then roll my eyes over to the lender and go, hey, look, can we take the amortization from 20 to 25? Can we do something else with the loan term to adjust the loan, the annual debt service, to get his yield or her yield to be better? Now, all of a sudden, we hit 10 points. Seller didn't move, buyer didn't move, but we achieved the financial goal and no one had to give anything up because the, after, here's what happens. And brokers, I don't know if any of you are listening or watching, have had this happen. You're all at the closing table. Some issue comes up and miraculously, the buyer and seller end up exactly one brokerage commission apart. Shocking how this happens. And then the eyes <laughs> slowly roll to the end of the table and look at all of us, right? And all of a sudden, you know, it's commissionectomy time, right? This can help avoid that problem because you can go, look, let's find a, a resolution to this and, and work that out. So I always run, run debt and run cash on cash. Okay. And in, in how effective have you been with, with that mindset and helping your clients buy or sell their properties? We do okay. That's what I'll say. I'm not a um, comparative wealth is always a, a loser's game. We do well. This is, this is all we do. We specialize in building multi generational wealth through investment real estate. Um, we're pretty good at what we do. That's what I'll tell you. Um, all right. But the arc of it is I don't really care what you earn on the top end. I only care what you keep. Right. Okay. So the second component of that, I want to say uh, on top of cash on cash is. You also really, really, if you're looking at this, need to understand the powerful effect depreciation has in your portfolio. And so many brokers give up or don't really get into understanding even the basics of depreciation, let alone advanced depreciation. Because when I, I teach real estate investment classes all literally all over the world, uh, I've been in, where was I this year so far? Spain, Greece, heading to Amsterdam in a week. I've been in Serbia. I, I go all over and teach this. I start every real estate investment class and I say, listen, I hope all of you lose money every year you invest in real estate. And everyone's like, man, I'm in the wrong class. I'm out. Like, whoa, <laughs> hold up. I didn't say I don't want you to keep it. I said, on paper, I want you to have enough deferrable losses to protect not only your income, but your spouse or wife or husbands or whoever that is. Because we as full-time real estate professionals have tax advantages that no other profession in the United States has. We have passive loss rules that no one else can touch. 
And for us not to take advantage of that, especially as, as full-time real estate professionals, and I don't say realtor in this regard because you don't have to be a realtor to do this, just a full-time real estate professional. That if we're not using those depreciation amounts the way we should, it, it, it's sad. You need a better CPA if your CPA doesn't know this. Fire them and get another one, okay? So well, I want to know I, about what you're keeping. I don't care what you gross. I want to know what you net. Right. And I would tell you, most CPAs do not know how to handle real estate brokers. They, they really they don't. don't. You've got to nope. seek them out. Yes. They don't have a clue. And um, yeah, it's it's just baffling. But effectively, and a lot of brokers, I mean, taxes are one of those issues for real estate brokers or real estate agents that are is is kind of one of the bugaboos that get people into trouble because they don't know oh, yeah. what to do because they're coming to us from like a nine to five where somebody right. took their, their taxes out, right? Yeah, they're waiting for their W-2. It's like, uh, you're not really going to get one of those. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the independent contractor world, folks. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's why you need a good CPA or bookkeeper, somebody who understands what you can do in real estate and can, can counsel you on what to do. And Art, one thing, and I know we've talked about this before, is like as new realtors get into, into building their business and developing it, they really need to consult with their CPA. And Art, if you remember, we discussed before, when agents are getting into this and when realtors are new, they really want to look at uh, talking with their CPA about establishing correct bank accounts and setting up something for taxes as a reserve. When you get those checks, that's great, but set something aside because those tax days come early and often, unfortunately, as an independent contractor. So a little note there, prepare yourself for those days. Put a little Absolutely. extra aside for a rainy day. Absolutely great advice. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Hey there, Real Estate Roundtable podcast listeners. I want to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor, I Love Real Estate School. If you're looking to get your real estate license or fulfilling your continuing education requirements, I Love Real Estate School has got you covered. As an Illinois licensed school, they offer the state-required broker pre-license course, managing broker pre-license courses, post-licensing courses, and continuing education. And the best part, you can take the courses either through their live stream with the live instructor or online home study. So no matter where you are, you can get the education you need to take your real estate career to the next level. I Love Real Estate School is committed to helping you succeed in the industry. That's why they offer comprehensive, high-quality education at an affordable price. So if you're ready to start your real estate journey or stay up to date with your continuing education, head on over to iloverealestateschool.com today to learn more. So, John, um, I wanted to get your opinion on this idea. You know, people come to, to our classes, our pre-license classes, and they say to me, I want to get into commercial. Uh, yes, I and, love that conversation. Sure. And I often say, excellent. I, I never want to put the kibosh on anybody's dream, right? Right. But I often say, do you know somebody that's in commercial? Okay. Because... Otherwise, it's not like residential where you can walk into pretty much any office and go, hey, I got a license. I'd like to work here. Right. 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 Is that a fair state? I don't want to I don't want to be harmful yeah. to commercial, but is that a fair statement? Yes. Yeah. So we'll, let, uh, let's let's break that down for a minute. OK, so if you look in at, at the realtor world, right, 
the median realtor is a 54-year-old female, two or more years college experience. They out-earn their male counterparts by 13% on average. And it's a great place for non-alternative uh, career styles, times, and choices because you control your life that way. And, and women especially have a great career because they can still have families yet still work and not be stuck to nine to five desk jobs. Awesome. Love it. God bless real estate. Phenomenal. Uh, commercial, if you look at the mastheads of most commercial real estate firms who are non-realtor based, you're going to see an incredible lack of diversity for one, right? It, it's definitely the old boy network. Right. You're going to see it's very corporate. It's very uh, pyramidal, meaning you start out as a cubicle dweller and you might spend 20 or 30 years in a cubicle and you may never reach the top of that pyramid. So the very corporate side of real estate is very much you're getting a job and you're a cash flow analyst or you're a coffee getter or you're whatever. That's one pathway. You know, those are the big firms you'll see in Oak Brook or up by O'Hare. And that's that's a very corporate job. It's not really independent like we're used to hunting on the range. Okay. So the second path is, hey, I'm going to wing it on my own and figure it all out. Yeah, but then you're kind of practicing on your clients a little bit because there's not really been a consistent pathway into knowledge or education. So you need a mentor. You need a guide. You need a Sherpa to help bring you through that, which you talked about. Or who do you know that can hold your hand and bring you through that? And just because you know someone who is very successful in commercial doesn't mean they're a good teacher of commercial real estate. Good practitioners are usually, honestly, really poor teachers. So you might follow along this guy's coattails and get him coffee and, and learn what they're doing, but they may be really good at practicing, but they may not be really good at, at explaining or teaching or may not want to because they don't want to give up their database. They don't want to give up their knowledge to you. So when people say, I want to get into commercial, the old maxim is, great, can you afford not to eat for two years? <laughs> And you notice how straight I looked at you because I'm not yeah, kidding. I know. Okay? Uh, nor, however, there, there's definitely a lot, a lot of ways to shortcut that. But the number one indicator of anyone's success in real estate, residential or commercial, is your lead generation. And in commercial, it's an absolutely different game. It's not like, well, my cousin, I went to their baseball game and I talked to all the other moms and they want to maybe buy a house. Nope. This is grinding phones, grinding contacts, two to 300 contacts a week, banging it right? And absolutely hammering lead gen. And if you're willing to do that, year one, you may make 20 to 40 grand, right? And that's if you're hustling, because there's so much ramp up of knowledge and time and all that. Year two, you probably hit 60 to 80, maybe 100 grand. But by year three or four, you should be significantly into good six-figure territory if you're lead genning. And if you're not, the problem is not the market. I don't care what market it is. The problem is your lead gen, okay? So it's great and it's awesome and there's a huge up, but you have to stick around long enough to do it. And here's why. All right, if you sell someone a home today, NAR stat is they're in that home for 7.8 years, right? right? So you got it. You sell them. You have an 83% chance of being the broker they want to use when they sell again. You only have a 13% chance of being that person. That 70% drop off is all on us as realtors because we yep. go, hey, I got to find someone else who's ready to buy today. So your chance of being replaced is actually very high and ever getting follow-on business because our, our referral, our follow-on systems aren't great as realtors. We just don't do it. In commercial, here's the deal. If I put you in a space, a three-year lease on a space, I know three years from the day I put you in there, you're transacting again. You're going to go up in space, down in space. Maybe you buy, maybe you do something, but one way or the other, you are forced to the market in three years. Then I put someone else on a four-year lease, someone on a two-year lease, someone buys a building but has a five-year balloon mortgage. So in five years, I know their debt's coming due. That's a time to reevaluate the market. So as a new broker, I'm planting all these seeds that are coming due in two years, three years, four years, five years. If I don't stick around to get all that fruit off the tree when that, when that income ramps up, I leave. The next person who calls that, 
that that client two years and three months from then when I've given up and gone, ah, real estate's terrible. I'm going to Costco. The next guy calls me goes, hey, you thinking of selling? Well, yeah, sure. Lease is up. We'd love to sell. And Art goes, I'm the best commercial broker ever. I just called this guy on my first day and got a deal. Well, someone else matured that for two years. So you have to stick it out if you're going to do it to get the ramp up. And then you will kill it. You need staying power. That, well, that's excellent because I don't know that I've ever realized that that it it takes I don't want to say that long because in the and yeah. ultimately two to three years four years to build yourself that kind of business is not that long, right? It's so fast it starts so slowly you don't know it's moving and then it moves so fast you can't stop it. Right, right. Where we're in residential, you know, people are used to the quick oh, yeah. hits, and I'm really successful because I sold, you know. 12 yeah. houses this year, which is, which is great. I'm not phenomenal. Not 12 houses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But again, it's constant. You, you got to really be doing all of your, your referrals and all that in residential. And so how do you lead Jen differently? I mean, you're banging the phones. Who are you mm-hmm. calling? Okay. So this is where focus is key. The other part, you, you said something really interesting. You're selling 12 houses in a year. I've had deals that have been under contract for a year. Okay, so let's talk time, you know, transactional timelines and our windows are much longer. If so, if you came to me and said, Hey, John, I want to rent a space for my new business, whatever, even if today we hunted, you're not opening, we're end of May, call us June 1st right now, you wouldn't be opening until September, October, maybe November right now. Right. So, no matter how good a salesperson I am, no matter how awesome a space we find, we're I'm five to six months from a paycheck from our first engagement. So, I have to think about planning my business six months to a year out on every client I'm in front of. That's the kind of future cash flow mindset you need to be successful and to, to last. Okay. Right. Now, who are you lead genning? This is where having a specialty is absolutely critical. You can't say, well, I take everything and I go everywhere and I do everything. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. <laughs> okay. Yep. So here's the deal. You need a specialty of some kind. And, and we talked about this before. You have to figure out where am I going to go? Is there enough transactional volume to support the market share and the income level I want? If I want to make 50 grand a year, a million dollars, a hundred grand, I don't care what the number is. You break that market down with data and go, here's the number of transactions. The typical fee is ballpark this. Here's the market share. Here's the players I'm competing against. Can I go up against these guys and gals? Am I, do I have a shot at this market? No, yes. Okay, if no, then move to a different market. Once you break that down and there's pretty clear data tools on how to do that. And the MLS is not going to get you there. You need much better data sets. We'll get to costs in a minute. Um, and then once you have that down, then you know, hey, look, I, what are my ratios? How many calls do I have to make before I can actually get an opportunity to list a property? And you're going to go back through those conversions and go, look, you break this down and go, okay, I need to make 222 calls a week in order to make that number. And if I don't do that, I'm shorting myself income. That's it. So it has to be that disciplined and that focused and that organized or else to be honest you're hobbyist you're not really going to hit a goal um, and then you're just going to get frustrated and then then once that once that lack of activity builds up it builds into call reluctance and marketing reluctance and then it builds into fear but no matter how far you run your problems are still there right you can't i don't care if you go to bahamas guess what you still didn't make your calls you still didn't make your contacts so um it's very much that lead gen base and unless you really pick a specialty and go deep into it you're just going to wander and you're going to be so so schizophrenic that you can't, you're never going to get ahead in the business. So how does somebody then find themselves a mentor in commercial? I mean, other than having a connection into one of the big companies, you know, I know there's a lot of like, even take your, your situation, 
you know, you're at an international company and you run uh, a commercial division within the company. And like you said, you grew it from five, from two to just a little over 30. Right. But, you know, it, it is that because you, you you went out there and said, hey, who's interested in doing commercial? I mean, I are you out there recruiting person. commercial people? How does it I, work? I don't rec- I haven't recruited a single person. I don't recruit anybody. I'll be, I, I don't not that I don't hunt them. I welcome them. I don't right. have time. to. I don't have time to recruit people. I'll be I, I, a little, I, I just I don't have time. I don't have time to recruit people. They find us. It's through osmosis and through energy. We put the energy out. The energy comes back, which you, you um, so I don't mean that as, as strangely as it sounds. I, I, if I did more, we'd certainly have more. Um, and that's a, that's a fair, uh, a fair statement. Um, what, how do people get in it without a mentor? That's one of the things that, um, the only kind of brand positive thing, not brand like brandy sell thing, I would say is one of the things we did when we rebuilt our brand nationally uh, myself and the other two co-leaders of the brand, we burned it down and restarted with education. So anyone who joins and becomes part of our national uh, commercial has access to 128 modules of commercial education of how do you build your database? How do you make your calls? How do you do office industrial? That knowledge that all three of us wished we had, because we all came up hard. We all came up through large commercial brokerages. We were all stuck in little silos where we didn't get to learn a lot. We all went through a lot of fire and we're like, yeah, no, this is not cool for our brokers. And we created an incredible uh, educational platform so who joins can get that. So it's really kind of a cool thing that we're like, okay, everyone should have that. That's one path is find a brokerage that offers an educational pathway, regardless of what that brand is. Okay. Right. Uh, so focus on the education part. The other part is look at your associations. I mean, Main Street has a commercial boot camp. That's an intro piece. There's an advanced five-day workshop coming. And this sounds so self-serving, but please, Art, you know how this goes. I don't get paid more or less if you take it. I teach that class and that we're, that's coming on Q3. And then they do CCIM courses right after that. So it's like beginner, intermediate, and then CCIM. So like there's pathways there. NICAR has classes. Wherever you are in the world listening to this, look to your local association, your commercial overlay board. There's pathways into commercial that are kind of all around. You just have to, you may have to hunt a little bit to find them. Okay. CCM has a mentorship program. I mean, there's, there's a million ways to get in. You just have to, you may have to hunt it down is what I'd say. Um, Actually, that's good. That's good advice is to check with the association, check with companies, because a lot of, a lot of the national companies do have their silos. You're either residential or you're commercial and that's it, baby. Correct. And a lot of the residential people don't know that whole other side exists because the commercial people are not great at, 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 at reaching out. And that's, that's definitely a blind side and it can be an ego thing. Well, those residential dabblers, we don't want them in our world. Okay. Let me give you another stat. 3% of NAR's 1.5 million people say that they're commercial brokers. That's 50,000 ish, give or take 48, whatever. Okay. Between 14 and 17% of NAR's members do a commercial transaction every year. Okay. So you look at, you're talking half a million people doing commercial deals and 48,000 like, well, we're the commercial guys. Well, dude, get over yourselves. There's a whole lot more people doing it. So why aren't we outreaching more and raising the bar? Article 11, do your job to the highest level. Don't practice on your clients and let's all get along better and, and do a better experience. So our clients have a better experience of real estate, right? So kind of get over yourself, turn off that ego, right? And right. the one caveat I would say to people too is, uh, and I want to get to cost is that, look, you know, if you think residential is expensive, welcome to commercial. Okay. So I do want to touch on cost if we can for a minute. If oh, I can please go a, little, do. a little sideways Absolutely. for a second. Absolutely. So, um, but I want to talk about cost, but I also want to talk about opportunity. 
So um, if you have a client and you're in your residential and you're going, okay, cool. And my you know, client wants to buy or sell or whatever, um, understand our MLS and I love MRED. They're wonderful uh, in, in the Chicago market. I'm talking, speaking to MRED, 50,000 50, subscribers. We cover huge Metro, most of the state. Um, I, I run stats on this consistently. Um, MRED is, has very, very narrow, limited representation of commercial properties. Outside of that, you'll see the next most popular one is called LoopNet. And it's got a little red star at the top of it. That is a public-facing platform where people pay to advertise listings. So anything you see on LoopNet, someone paid to put there. And um, each slot costs every month, regardless of whether you have a listing or not, people pay for those slots. So it's not like a, a residential MLS where no matter how many listings I have, I, I'm a member, I can put 100 listings in there. They don't care. LoopNet is paid per slot. LoopNet is owned by CoStar, which is a huge data provider. And they have property information, whether it's on market, not on market, whatever that is. They have tons of data, analytics, and lease comps. And CoStar is phenomenal, and it's expensive. CoStar can be, between, depending on your market, five to 10 grand a year just for the CoStar wow. service. Right. Now, if you have listings, those are anywhere from 40 to, uh, oh, well, geez, I'm going to go nuts, $1,500 a month per slot. They average 70 bucks a month per listing per slot six month, 12 month commitment. So each listing you have could cost you $1,000 a year. So you got five or six listings plus CoStar, there's 15 grand just to have data. Right. However, I look at like MRED right now had commercial listings, total commercial listings around 5,000-ish. LoopNet had around 12,000 listings in it, 14,000. So more than 50% more listings. CoStar is 27,000. Wow. So your question is, can you really think that your client's going to make an effective decision missing 70% of the market data? Is that really in your client's best interest? Nope. So it ain't cheap to, to, do, to play, but when you have that data, look how much more effective you can be. And that's why, that's why the commercial guys get a little testy when residential people dump into the market. They go, well, I don't need CoStar. I got LoopNet. I'm good. Loop, CoStar has a button that says, only show me properties not in LoopNet. So I can see property. So I can only send my client stuff they can't see otherwise, which is kind of cool, right? It's a little insidious, but cool. So it, <laughs> it is way expensive. It is way, way expensive to play in the commercial market for dedicated commercial people. Right. Just, just, so they, just so you know what's happening. Additionally, I'll give you two more warnings if that's okay. Can I give you the, the warnings? Of course. Okay. Uh, two warnings. First is if you're a residential person and you're going to anything, any listing, I'm going to say any listing. Understand you could be working for free in what we call the charitable exercise of real estate, especially anything on LoopNet, CoStar, Crexy, PropDyne, anything that's not in your MLS. There is no offer of compensation, none. You are owed nothing. Law is very clear. Compensation and cooperation have nothing to do with each other. State law says I must cooperate with you as a licensee. I'll cooperate till the cows come home. I don't owe you a shekel, friend, okay? So when you're showing up on these listings for these large commercial firms, you show up, you bring your client, everyone has a nice day, you have a cup of coffee, they love it, you negotiate, you go through, you go through, you go through, and you're at closing like, hey, Art, where's my fee? And Art goes, hey, John, where's your commission agreement? And I go, well, I don't have one. And they say, and there's your answer. And they're right. And no court in the land would give you a penny. You are right. working for free, folks, unless you protect your client, protect your fee, and protect yourself. Okay? You're working for free unless you've secured it. Next one, 30 to 40% of what you see on LoopNet is not available for sale or for lease. Not at all. Total populated with bogus listings all day. Anyone can put anything for sale on it. 
It's not like our MLS where they have verification departments and they'll fine you two grand if it's not legit or whatever. Anyone can put anything. I can put this building I'm sitting in for sale. They don't care. They just go, hey, look, we have another listing. So here's the deal. And this is what happens. I'm a listing agent. I have never and will never do this. I'm going to play the bad guy. I have a great listing in a sexy area that I had listed at one point, for example. It's already leased. I leave it up as marketing marketed actively. Art is a broker. He's got a client who drives by and sees my sign or sees it on LoopNet and goes, oh, Art, I found it. It's the one. This is magic. Dude, this is it. Art calls me. Hey, John, I got this great buyer who wants to buy this or lease this on Wednesday. I ain't calling Art back. Thursday goes by. Did you hear anything, Art? Did you hear anything, Art? No, no. Friday, Art, did you hear anything? No, I didn't hear anything. Okay, I'll call again. I'll send smoke signals, whatever. I want it. I want it. Okay, great. Art calls again. I ain't calling Art back. No way. Over the weekend, the client's stewing, stewing, stewing. By Monday, what do you think the client does? Client calls me directly. Right. I go, of course it's available. I'm not sure what's up with your broker. Can't say. Working with a dedicated professional like me, I have access to not only this, but a whole range of other properties that could certainly meet your needs. I'll meet you at the property in 20 minutes. Happy to work with you. And Art just got commissionectomies. He's done. Or they go, oh, it just leased last week, but boy, I have one right around the corner. Not quite as sexy, but a little cheaper. And boy, I'll take you right over here into my pocket listing world. And away you go. And Art's out. Happens every day. Yep. Yep. So that's how fun commercial. It is. It's excellent for people to know because I would tell you most residential brokers have no clue. No. They're, no. they're like used to, hey, I'm getting paid and and where's my money and where's the other side and mm -hmm. and 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 they have no idea that this could happen and and this isn't just Illinois you're talking mm -hmm. about this is this is nationwide. commercial nationwide I teach all over the country all over the world I see this everywhere this is uh, this is the way the club works okay and I'll give you I know we're, we're on time but let me give you the worst example well depending on how you see this the worst or best. I was uh, tagged along with a broker. <clears throat> There's a very large office assignment in a very nice area. Uh, the tour was a residential agent showed up with their client. The client was like, this is magic. I love it. This is wonderful. And we negotiated the deal right there on site. They said, this is it. Perfect. Okay. Done, done. And the, the residential agent was really beyond her skis. Uh, got the deal put together with the principal right there. Do, do, do. Everyone kind of signed a letter of intent. Everything was happy. Went through build out, went through lease. It was a very long-term lease. Um, we're there for the ribbon cutting. And my guy's like, hey, and by dumb luck, I was there for the first meeting. And at the end, I was on another property tour like four months later. And I was with him and I was, he's like, oh, hey, remember that deal? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going over. I got to turn the keys over and do all that stuff today. Okay, cool. And uh, so I, I tagged along with him because we're going on another thing. And uh, so we're there and they're doing the ribbon cutting and, you know, cake and whatever. And um, so the, the agent's kind of uncomfortable and she's sort of standing around like, um, uh, um, like, uh, what's the co-op? Now, this is at the key turnover. She finally comes up, like sticks her head up to ask what she's going to get paid. And um, so he's like, uh, meaning... You know, and he was rough. This dude was, I mean, this guy had a dorsal fin sticking out of his suit. And um, so he's like, what do you mean? You know, she's like, well, like co-op or whatever. And um, he's like, well, what are you thinking? Because I mean, legally, I don't know you anything. But in the spirit of compromise, what are you thinking? Now, she said, you know, she said an amount that in her, in this situation equaled one half month's rent, which was $4,500. And he goes, all right. Yeah. 4,500 bucks. That's fine. Yeah. We'll take care of that. You have a commission agreement, send it over to me and we'll, we'll get you paid within 30 days. And she's like, wow, that's awesome. I don't have to pay a minus th whatever MLS fee. 
And he's like, cool. Yeah, I'll save you 300 bucks or whatever it is. I don't know, whatever. There's no average standard or typical fee. Off he goes. Total commission on the deal was $91,000. It was half and half. She walked away from that because she wanted, she charged what she thought she was worth because she worked in a model where that was a fairly typical compensation for her. And she was okay with that because that was what her model felt she was charged, what she was worth. No problem with that. She was happy. She was thrilled at the end of the day. But by being in water, she wasn't familiar in, not understanding the difference in compensation models. She left a little bit of money on the table, one might say. So, as uh, And hey, it's not my deal. I'm not part of it. I'm good. So as we're walking out, I just said, lunch is on you. We're going to Gibson's. So I got a stake out of the deal. So I was okay with that. But but that's some of the peril I see residential people get in where they, where they also undervalue themselves. And I hate to see that happen. Right. Well, again, like you said, they're unfamiliar because they're playing in waters they're not used to. Yeah, correct. And, and you know, that's such a typical question we get. What's the co-op? What's the co-op? Mm-hmm. And, and I've often said to them, what did you negotiate exactly. with your client? Mm-hmm. Right. Even in residential, what did you negotiate with your client? Right. What does what your EVA say? What yeah, EBA? Exactly. Why would I do that? But, right. With Just, the lawsuits coming, uh, DOJ and all these fun things, you may want to be a better advocate for your buyers and your tenants these days. Just saying. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing that um, you and I've talked about in the past is in Illinois, um, where we've added into the listing. So prior to 2010, you know, um, companies or sellers would get around paying brokers their commission, right? Even though they had a contract, a listing agreement, right? And right, exactly. (laughs) Sue me was the answer to get it because you never got Mm -hmm. it. And Mm -hmm. so the property would transact because there was nothing in the contract. Right. That said that you could put a lien on their property. Correct. And in 2010, in Illinois, the law changed, which allowed brokers working on commercial deals or brokerages to put a lien on the property for their commission. Absolutely. Thanks to Jim Hockman's, one of my attorneys actually got that passed. He wrote, he wrote that he did it for 13 states. Jim's an awesome attorney. Um, yeah. And I hope he cuts me referral fee off every deal he gets off of this. You owe me, Jim, just saying. But uh, Jim, Jim's a great guy. He's about 5'4", really feisty dude. And they say, Jim, how long have you been in the business? He's like, when I started, I was 6'3". That's just Jim. But uh, <laughs> if you know Jim, that, that's a very Jim Jim Hockman joke. But um, yes, we, we have the nuclear option. We can stop closings and we can put liens on property. With residential, you can't do. So right. yeah, we, we, can play, we can play a whole different ball game as far as remuneration goes. And it's a nice thing. And that gave you just tremendous leverage. Do you oh, know yes. of a commercial group that doesn't use that in their listings? No, God, no. You would be foolish not to. And and I I always love it when, um, what's Shakespeare? Thou doth protest too much. The people who go like, well, why would we ever do that? We're not going to screw you. We're really nice. We're great people. We love you. Look, we have puppies. You know, like those are the people you watch out for the most. Right, right. The just, person who asks to strike it. Yes, Can we exactly. strike that? Can we strike that? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Help me understand, you know? Um, yes. So, yes, I've used it. It's been very helpful. Um, good stuff. It We're is blessed. good stuff. So great, great let great. me ask you, because I know your time is limited. I appreciate you Please, being yeah. here. Is if your best piece of advice for a new person getting their real estate license that wants to get into commercial? Your best piece. Best piece of advice would be to lead generate 
every single day. Make that your absolute golden hours. Bunker yourself off and make lead gen the primary focus of what you do. Even if even if you're not good at it, keep doing it. Build that skill. And that is the number one skill you need to build is your lead generation. The follow on to that is I don't care what CRM you use, every piece of data you get, you are fighting for. You're spending time on, you're spending mental energy on, you're spending research time on. You are paying a cost for every piece of data you're gleaning. You must assemble that into an actionable CRM, Client Relationship Manager. You have to harness that and own every piece of data you have because the most valuable thing you have is your CRM. That's what's going to let you leverage and sell your business for an incredible amount of money at some point and get off of this crazy merry-go-round called real estate. So lead gen every single day, bunker down in every piece of data you have, put in a very actionable CRM, use it, own it, live in a CRM, and someday that CRM will pay you back an incredible, incredible return. Excellent. Well, John, you got. certainly know that you and I could talk for hours. Oh, yeah. Man. And, yeah. and we didn't even get to Irish history love or World War II or auto racing. Like, oh, there's so many more fun things. Or baking, I <laughs> bake. Like, I got all kinds oh, of But games. we could talk real estate, literally. Oh, all that too. Oh, yeah, real estate. I forgot that. Yeah. 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 But so, uh, I, appreciate I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to do this and, and to, to pour into, you know, our, our listeners. Thank you so much for, for doing this overall. And, Absolutely. you know, you certainly know you're one of my favorite people. You're certainly my favorite commercial guy. I'll I'll, I'll let you well, know that. You, That's awesome. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. But, and, uh, and real estate has given me an incredible career. It's taken me literally around the world and back again. I've built. I've been able. I've been blessed and and given opportunities that I would have never had any other way. I've met people literally around the world I would have never met in any other way. And and it can it can create that and it can help give opportunity to you in a such a such an amazing way. So it, it, it is not for everyone, but if you're in it and you're dedicated to it and you have focus in it, it can it can just be the most amazing thing in the world. So I love it. I'm blessed to have been in it and be in it and no plans to go anywhere else. So if you're on the way and on the path, just keep a focus and just keep rocking, right? And if it's tough and it will be tough, markets will change, markets will move, that happens. But go back to Winston Churchill who said, if, you know, if you're going through hell, keep going, okay? So if it's tough, just keep rocking. It gets better. It's awesome. You're not the only one fighting the struggle, but it, it, it's an amazing place to be. And John, if I can ask a favor, um, your 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 contact information is going to be in the show notes down below. Oh yeah, thank you. If if somebody um, would like to reach out to talk to you about potential Absolutely. commercial anything, uh, yeah, are you open to. to that? Always, yeah. I have those conversations all the time, and and regardless of even if it's whatever the, whatever way I can help. Absolutely, my whole goal is to give back to the industry and help raise the bar in the commercial real estate industry. Whatever I can do to help, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. We greatly appreciate you joining us on the Real Estate Roundtable podcast. Uh, it's been a great uh, discussion, and I look forward thank to you. potentially doing it again. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, Art. Thanks, John. Thanks again to our sponsor, I Love Real Estate School. Thanks for tuning in to the Real Estate Roundtable podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our amazing guests and you picked up some valuable tips and insights that you can use in your own real estate business. If you liked what you heard today, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. Your support means the world to us and helps us bring you more great content in the future. And if you're an agent who's interested in coaching, I'd love to hear from you. 
you can contact me directly through my website, myrealestatesalesmanager.com or connect with me on social media. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you the next time in the Real Estate Roundtable Podcast.